have a seat? Not really. <laughs> this, this funny story caught my eye this week and I just wanted to uh, read it out to you so it made me laugh. Okay, so a father passing by his son's bedroom was astonished to see that his bed was nicely made and everything was picked up. Then he saw an envelope propped up prominently on the pillow that was addressed to Dad. With dread, he opened the envelope and read the letter. Dear Dad, it's with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing to you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with Mum and you. I found real passion with Stacey and she's so nice. But I knew you would not approve of her because of all her piercings, her tattoos, tight motorcycle clothes and the fact that she's much older than I am. But it's not the only problem, Dad. She's pregnant. Stacy said we'll be very happy together. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many more children. Stacy's opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone. We'll be growing it for ourselves and trading it with the other people that live nearby for cocaine and ecstasy. In the meantime, we'll pray that science will find a cure for AIDS so Stacy can get better. She really deserves it. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 15 and I know how to take care of myself. Someday I'm sure that we'll be back to visit so you can get to know your grandchildren. Love, your son, John. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Tommy's house. P.P.S. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than a school report card. That's in my centre desk drawer. I love you. Call me when it's safe to come home. <laughs> this really made me laugh. <laughs> I haven't usually got loads of what I want to talk about today, but um, today I want to talk to you about living from a place of love and knowing how much you're loved. And I really believe that if we can really grasp this, knowing that we're loved by God, it will not only change our own lives, transform our own lives, but it will also have the potential to transform the communities and the people around us as well. Um, over the past month, we've, been, we've just been hearing about uh, how um, the presence of God is within us and it influences and affects those around us. Um, remember last week, Steve talked about freely you've received, now freely give. And today, as we focus on how much the, the Father loves us, it's more as we experience his love, we're able to give his love. And uh, uh, it's a little bit clunky, but I'm going to use these chairs to illustrate a bit of a point today. Have some water. Um, just that, that bottom. See, that bottom. Um. So... I think that every single one of us live our lives from one of these three chairs. So, this is chair number one. What chair is this? Chair number one. Chair number one. <laughs> this is chair number two. What chair is this? Chair number two. This is chair number three. What chair is this? So, if you're living your life in chair number one, this is the kingdom of God. This is, if you're living your life in chair number two, this is the kingdom of yourself. And you're, if you're living your life in chair number three, this is the kingdom of the world. Here in chair number one, uh, Jesus is on the, uh, kind of in charge, he's on the throne, he's the boss. It's his story 
Uh, it's my song, but it's his story. In chair number two, it's, a, it's more about me. I'm in charge. I say what's going on. I'm trying to impress. I'm trying to kind of live my life from that place. And you can, I, th- I think you can be a follower of Jesus in chair number one and chair number two. And, but you might not necessarily have a relationship with Jesus if you're in chair number three. And I think which chair you live from is determined by the answer to these two questions. And the first question is, how do you see God? And the second question is, how do you think God sees you? And I think if we can start to grapple with these questions, I think this potentially can change your life. People in chairs two and three have a worldview of God that I believe doesn't massively look like Jesus. The picture they have of God doesn't quite look like Jesus. It may be slightly distorted. It may be they, they see God as a cruel God, as an unforgiving God. Uh, it's distorted that he's, he's maybe not good. God isn't good. Whereas Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So part of my assignment is that I want everybody to experience a God that looks like Jesus and that loves like Jesus. Who who you believe Jesus is, who, who you believe he really is, will be who he then is through you to other people. So if you um, really, really believe that Jesus loves you, that God loves you, you can then start showing love to people around you. And for, for me, I think I would, i visit chair number one, but sometimes I don't stay there, I creep back into chair number two. And I I start working for approval from God, rather than living from a place of love. And sometimes I find it difficult to to fully understand that I'm loved totally, unconditionally by God. There's There's nothing I can do that will make him love me more. And there's nothing that I can do that will make him love me less as well. There's nothing, nothing I can do that will make him love me more. Nothing that I can do that will make me love him less. I, I was brought up in a Christian family. I was the, or I am, the youngest of three girls. And my older two sisters, they always seemed to be slightly more compliant than I was, slightly more obedient. Uh, just... Whether they were or not, I'm not quite sure, but it always, that's always the way that it seemed to me. And I was fairly stubborn. I liked to have my own way. And I thought I knew best most of the time. Um, obviously, that's changed was, now, was, hasn't it? Was, <laughs> was, was, was. Um, and my dad and I had quite a hard relationship when I was younger, probably because actually I was quite similar to him. And he didn't know quite what to do with me, as I was a bit more willful than my older sisters. I remember when I was about 13 or 14, we were, we were pretty much at loggerheads the whole time. And um, he, he had a, a bit of an epiphany. I don't know quite what, what happened with him, but he... He, sometimes, he, some, he somehow realised that he'd been busy comparing me to my sisters the whole time. So it's like, why can't you be more like them? Why can't you do this? Why can't you be as perfect as they were? 
And he um, wrote me a note one day and he actually apologised to me. And that it dramatically changed our relationship um, together. But I think for a long time I lived with the effects of that. Uh, I lived from a perspective uh, with God that I had to earn his love. And that I was never quite good enough. I, I, I kind of went on to have a pretty good relationship with, with God. But I think it was probably based on me doing all the right things, saying all the right things. Just, I mean, I was, I was a pretty good Christian, I think. Um, and it wasn't until about seven or eight years ago that I was, in a, I was in a really dark place, that the penny started to drop for me, that there was nothing I could do to earn God's love. And that even when I felt so far away from him, just like in the, um, the story of the prodigal son in the Bible, he was so far away from his father, but the father was on the lookout for him every day. Like every day the father would be looking to see whether he, where his son was. And he ran to meet him, even though the son had messed up. The father was on the lookout all the time. And I, I began to realise during this really dark time that I was so unconditionally loved, even though I'd messed up as well. And I think probably for the first time, I properly surrendered to the unconditional love of the father and his grace. And learning to rest in that promise is the start. That's where you start. That's the starting point. Often we start from this point, trying to earn approval, trying to earn acceptance by God. But we have to start from this point, chair number one, where we're totally loved unconditionally by God. And then we can do all sorts. I mean, that's, that's, that's where the power comes from. That's where the compassion comes from. But that's the starting place. So in chair number two, you're living for God. In chair number one, you're living from God. Chair number two, you're living for love. Chair number one, you're living from love. Chair number two is about being an achiever, achieving things, trying to earn your, earn your approval. But in chair number one, only everything is received. Everything is received. You can't earn it. You know, if you think about it, salvation, healing, forgiveness, Jesus, he gives us all these things for free. They're all free. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our shame, our guilt, all our stuff, all our baggage. And there was a line earlier, he took our filthiness and made us clean. He took all the stuff that we'd done wrong and he made us completely clean. And it's all free. That's a free gift. We haven't done anything to deserve that. In Luke 3, um, I just want to read a short passage. It's when Jesus was baptised. So it says, when all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Proof, I think, that God is a South Londoner. Well pleased. <laughs> but, um, so before Jesus had done a single miracle, he'd had almost like three baptisms. He'd had a baptism of the water. He'd had a baptism of the spirit, where the dove descended on him. And then he had the baptism of love, where God said, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. And that's what each of us needs before we do anything. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. I really love you. 
And that's, again, that's the starting point. And Jesus, I think, I believe he always stayed in chair number one, the place of approval. That's his, that was his starting point. You are my son. And then he went out to do all these incredible miracles. And when you're in chair number one, you can hear the father's voice. You can see his face. You experience his presence. And you're, you're abiding, you're living in the pleasure of the father. And what's true of Jesus is now true of you. That's how the father sees you. It's not what you do that makes you who you are. It's who you are that makes you do what you do. I said earlier that my relationship with my dad was difficult in my early teenage years, and um, I wanted to read you. I, f- I found this in the depths of our filing last night. I knew I had it somewhere. And um, he, on our wedding day, he wrote um, a poem for me, uh, which he read out as part of his speech. And um, I found a... I'm not going to read you the whole thing because you might get a bit bored. But um, this, is, this, is, this is four verses of this poem that, that my dad wrote for me. At school, you did so very well, excelled in music and in sport. But there, I made a great mistake and thought it would encourage you to say how well your sisters did at music and that you had all their gifts and could do just as well if only you would try... But I forgot to praise you for what you were yourself. And you got quite frustrated because I never could be pleased. And I thought you were rebellious and I couldn't even speak to you without your answering back. Dear Lord, I don't know what to do. She is so difficult. And then he showed me that the fault was really mine. You'd already come to him and were trying hard to change, but needed me to change my attitude. And so I wrote a little note and thanked you for your help. I left it on your pillow with a good old five-pound note. You flew downstairs and hugged me, and we've never been the same. I love you, lass. I'm proud of you. It's great to be your dad. And, and, that, and that made a massive difference, massive difference in my relationship with God. But that's, that's the place that all of us are coming from, that place of approval, that place of, I love you, I love you, lass, I love you, son. I'm proud to be your dad. And that's what Father God is saying over each one of us today. To know that we're totally loved, unconditionally. So chair number one is that place of value. It's a place of love. It's a place of affirmation. And it's almost like you can feel, um, you can feel the rest in that chair. Can you feel it? Just you can, oh, I can relax. You can feel that rest. It's not laziness, but it's rest. And you might say, what are you talking about? We live in London. Like, this is a city that never sleeps, it never rests. I'm on the go 24-7. How do I rest? We, you know, we know how to perform here, don't we? We know how to perform. We know the drivenness, the sense of achievement, always pushing you to do more, always pushing you to do better. The stress of trying to achieve more in work. But everything in the kingdom of God, it starts with love. Because I'm loved, and because I'm a son or a daughter, because of who I am now, that's why I do what I do. In chair number two, you'll say, if I, if I do or if I have, then I'll be accepted. But in chair number one, we start from a place of love and acceptance. And the, the, what often happens about chair number two is we often act like we're orphans rather than sons or daughters. 
but we've been adopted into God's family. And there's two passages I want to read, one in Ephesians and one in Romans. So Ephesians, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Amazing, isn't it? It gave him great pleasure to do that. And then in Romans, Romans 8, verse 15, it says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. I, I remember um, many years ago, I was in Israel, and uh, I was sitting around a pool, and uh, all I could hear was these little kids going, Abba, Abba, Abba. You know, that, you know when you, you're around a pool and you're, you're going, Daddy, Daddy, catch me, catch me into the pool. All these kids in, in Israel were shouting, Abba, Abba. And that was the term of phrase that they used to talk to their dads. It's that familiar. And I'm so captured by this that, that, you know, it says we can call God Abba, Father. It is literally Daddy, 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 help. And so often this perception of God is distorted for us because of our own earthly dads or because of people in authority over us. Many, many people, I think, have had very difficult relationships with their earthly fathers and consequently been very apprehensive about getting to know Father God in this way. You know, even sometimes even the word Father, when we say it in church, Father God, that it makes them cringe just because of their own experience. And deep down, there may be even people here, you may struggle to comprehend that God loves you, that he really, really loves you. He, and you may feel unworthy, you may have feelings of abandonment, you may feel rejected, you may have had a, a critical dad or this, you know, a dad that was always kind of at you, never pleased with you, never, never happy with you. Or, you know, maybe a dad that wasn't even there, it wasn't, wasn't present in your life at all. Uh, I'm, I do life coaching, my life coach, and help people look forward and uh, work out what they want to do with their lives, assess their goals and what they want to do career-wise and things like that. But one of the biggest areas that, that I've noticed that people tend to struggle with that actually stops them from moving forward is issues to do with their self-esteem and believing that they're lovable, believing that they're worthy. And when I, particularly when I coach people that, that do believe in Jesus, I often look at ways that their experience of their own earthly fathers has impacted their view of Father God and just help them try to untangle those perceptions. Because if we can grasp that the difference in the kingdom is that I'm already accepted, I'm already a beloved son or a beloved daughter, this will change our lives. This, this, this chair number two... I think a lot of us can live here. We, we might have a little visit to chair number one, 
but we can live for this space of trying to earn our approval all the time, trying to earn our acceptance. Whereas the Holy Spirit, just like it did with Jesus, it landed on him in a, like a dove. And in John's Gospel it said it remained. The dove remained on Jesus. The Holy Spirit remained on him. And that's the place we want to get to, where we're living from a place where the Holy Spirit rests on us in sonship. That was Jesus' like, secret source, as it were. And we've got access to that as well. So my whole focus is to be a daughter. For me, that's my whole focus. And if you, if you can have this focus everywhere you go, you're just a little boy or a little girl with a big daddy. That's our focus. All I do is what I see my, my daddy doing. All I do is what I see my father doing. Whatever circumstances I face, I face them from the, the perspective of being a little child with a big, big daddy who really loves me. He loves me unconditionally. He provides for me. He takes care of me. And this is the template that we can change the world with. No, you know, people don't have this. People in... in Generally, out in the streets of Balham, they don't know that they have a big, big daddy who loves them. And that's, that's, our, that's part of our mission. But first of all, we need, to, we need to come home, don't we? We need to kind of come home to that place of belonging and that place of rest. Everything in, in the kingdom of God is received. You receive it, then you become it, and then you release it. So you receive love, first of all. You receive that Father's love. You become love and then you give love. So as you receive it, you then become it. Then you can give it away. But you have to be transformed by love to actually be able to give it away properly, I think. I, I, I really want us to, all of us here to receive this baptism of love today. How, I don't know how, how many of us want to live in chair number one permanently. Anyone want to be there with me? <laughs> I want to live in that place permanently. And it, it, that place of receiving, a place of rest, a place of being a son or a daughter. And I've got this, uh, this short video that I'm going to play. Bear with us, it's slightly 90s. <laughs> 80s. 80s, even, possibly. Uh, so put those kind of judgments to one side. But what the... What the truth of the matter is, is that there's real truths that this man with a deep American voice is going to be speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I guess it's, it's just even now, maybe just put your hand on your heart and just say, I, I just want to receive the Father's love today. You know, where, wherever you're at, wherever you're at with your own earthly father, what your own experiences of that was, what, what you think about when you think about God the Father. It's almost like let let your judgments of the video go to one side and just let the truth that's spoken go really deep into your soul. Every word that you're gonna hear is from your daddy, your father. So be ready to receive. you are about to experience are true. They will change your life if you let them. For 
though they come from the very heart of God. He loves you, and He is the Father you have been looking for all your life. This is His love letter to you. representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you. 
not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you will receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I've always been father. And will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? forgiveness on behalf of anyone that's misrepresented love for any of you. Maybe if you had a father, whether he was angry or authoritative or critical, or any view of him that doesn't look like Jesus. And Jesus says, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter. That's my boy, that's my girl. So let your love go deeper today. Jesus says, I will not leave you as an orphan. Help us to see you the way that, help us to see ourselves the way you see us. And if, you know, if you don't know Jesus at all, maybe you're sat in chair number three and you don't know this loving Father that welcomes you with open arms. He just wants you to know how much he loves you and you can just come home to him at any time. <laughs> 